Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Good, y'all, and welcome to In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined here once again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzy Weber. Schwebzy, how are we doing this week, buddy? I'm doing good. I am really excited. Excuse, roll that back for a hot minute. We got one order of business to take care of first. Hi, friends. Thank you. There we go. All right, proceed. Doing good. I'm coming. I, I'm fresh off a second straight weekend of having seen a baseball game in person, which has not been too common of an occurrence for me since I moved to North Carolina. I actually, uh, in in the span of like two weeks, I crossed three stadiums off my list. I, I got to see a Yankee game up in New York, and then this past weekend, I went to a Nationals game in D.C. and a. Uh, an Orioles game at Camden Yards, which was fantastic. Uh, folks, you may have heard that the Nationals absolutely terribly botched a rainout last weekend. Well, friends, yes. guess which game I was at? Hey yo! So I got to I got to witness the the absolute uh, atrocity that was the Nationals' handling of very uh, of. Very predictable rain pattern. The rain, like, perfectly matched what the weather report said it was going to be. So if the Nationals had simply just, like, l- looked at any weather website, they would have been able to handle this weather uh, situation. But they didn't. And uh, it, it was it was terrible. N- nice ballpark, though. It was, it was better than I would have expected. It kind of... N- Nationals Park kind of sits in the middle of, of my personal and absolutely correct baseball park rankings now which I, I have to post now that I've added two more to the list. I was going to say, now that you're actually talking about it too, I don't think you've ever actually, sh- I don't think you've shown this to me before. I I, I've, I've tweeted it. Rankings. I, I've tweeted it. And that just tells me that you're not obsessively following my, my Twitter account enough. Trepsy, I love you. I really do. I have so many better things to be doing with my time. <laughs> I, I don't. I, <laughs> but, I, you, you don't have my notifications on? No, I don't. Unbelievable! I don't need your uh, Shrubzy. I don't need your notifications on because you send every tweet that you think is a banger to our group chat. That's because all, I, uh, hey, all do, of my I, tweets are bangers, Jordan. I, I do the same thing. I'm not going to say that I don't do it either, but I don't need notifications when you send them when you DM them to me. No, what I do is after they've been up for a half an hour, I tw- I, I send them angrily to you or the group chat and be like, and, and I'm like, why isn't this tweet doing numbers? And then we, it, we 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 give it pity likes. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I don't. Even, sometimes I don't even get pity likes. Sometimes they're not pity likes because it's actually a good tweet. I will say that. 
You've had some good It's fine. It's fine. I'm I'm yeah. convinced that Elon Musk doesn't want me to have any any serotonin. It's whatever. Well, whatever. We didn't really care about Elon. Anyways, uh <laughs> uh something that I haven't really done at the top of the episode, which I feel like we should be doing is like pumping out our socials. Obviously, uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we do have a shared podcast account. That's at in the deep PL. You can also follow us individually at Schwebzy for Schwebzy. That's S H W E B S I. And then myself at bunt singles. Uh, and then obviously if you haven't already and you're enjoying the podcast, please, please, please. It helps us out so much. If you leave a review for us on Spotify, Apple stitcher, or whatever platform you listen on, five star if you can leave like a text review obviously that's stuff that keeps us going because it lets us know that you're listening uh but yeah uh Schwabzy, do you want to kick off our deep dives for this week yeah yeah i, I i'm gonna talk about a pitcher this week which i think which is a rarity is, for me and i'm talking about a hitter so we're both very much out of character i feel like yeah I, like i did josiah gray earlier in the season but usually usually i'm, I'm mostly about the hitters uh yeah, so this week we're going to talk about Louis Varland, who, uh, if you're anything like me, in, in the last month you've heard the name Louis Varland thrown around and gone, oh, whatever, I've never heard of him, let's move on. Uh, I, I know personally that is a really bad habit of mine, uh, that if I've never heard of a player, how could they possibly be any good? Uh, but it's I, I think it's easy to forget that there are literally thousands of minor leaguers out there at any given time. And even if you're a complete dweeb, a, a complete degenerate like Jordan and myself, and you spend every waking moment thinking about baseball, there there are still a lot of relevant players out there that you've probably never heard of. And it th- just hey, goes just, to just just for a second. Uh, I think about I, I think about other things than baseball. Just so you know. Oh, I don't. Nothing. No. At all. No. Damn. It's just for for seven months of the year. I, it's just my brain is just like baseball, 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 baseball. It's fair. Maybe eight. Well, no, the Mets aren't going to make the playoffs. So you won't have to worry about that. Well, no, I'm I'm thinking about the off season. My season cuts off in at the end of September, but it's, it's it, you know it might start in like February. You know. Oh, you're including like spring training and okay. Yeah, God, yeah, understood. yeah. Because we, you know, we 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 have the, we work the podcast in spring training. We I have to think about baseball. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it just goes to show that there there are always talented players out there, and being on the ball and jumping on these guys is still an advantage if you're if you're paying attention. Even in this era of every bit of information being out there, sometimes prospects can still pop or, or jump under the radar or fl- fly under the radar uh and that's not to take anything away from varland who was firmly a top 10 twins prospect ranking number six with prospects live with a 50 future grade uh and with fan graphs, he was ranked sixth and uh sorry fourth in the organization also with a 50 grade so he, he was a quality back half of the top 100 prospect but what he's done recently is he's added a few ticks to his fastball, and now that sits at above average for a starter. He averages 95 and touches 98, and those extra ticks will do wonders for a player's outlook and productivity. And since I mentioned his fastball and velo, let's take a look at his repertoire and talk about why he's so interesting now. So... Varland has had a few starts now worth of data. He throws four pitches, 
all of them at least 15% of the time, with his four-seamer being his primary pitch and his cutter being his second most used at 40 and 30% respectively. He rounds out his repertoire with a changeup and a slider that he throws about 15% of the time each. And looking at what's worked so far in his brief 2023, his fastball cutter and changeup are all well above average in swinging strike rate, strike percentage, and CSW rate. So he's filling up the zone and he's getting tons of swings and misses while he's doing that. Now there's a downside to filling up the zone, but we'll get to that in a second. What we've got here is 85% of Louis Varlin's pitches doing good things uh, pretty frequently. This has resulted overall in a 28.4% strikeout rate, a 6.3% walk rate, a 30.9% CSW rate, and a 15.7% swinging strike rate, all of which are well, well above league average, and all of which generally indicate a pretty good pitcher. On top of all of those more traditional stats that he's performing really well in, our in-house pitch grading metric, PLV, absolutely loves Varland. He's literally ninth in all of baseball by our PLV metric. He throws quality pitches more than just about anybody else, and he avoids throwing bad pitches more than just about anybody else. And his PLA, which is pitch level average, a stat that attempts to convert PLV to an ERA scale is 2.45, which is good for ninth percentile in baseball. Not ninth percentile. Ninth percentile is bad. Ninetieth percentile in baseball. I was going to say, like, <laughs> but you're not. You're, you're not doing a good job arguing for this man. No, he's good. He's good. I swear, he's good. Uh, and this, what this shows, since PLV is, you know, lo- using location, intent and just uh, stuff to try to determine if a pitch is good or bad. What this shows is that he's got a good plan, a good idea of where to throw his pitches to get good results, and that he's got the ability to execute and throw his pitches to the correct locations, for the most part. I mentioned earlier that he throws a ton of strikes, that he fills up the zone and generally doesn't walk many batters. That can have its downsides too, which we can see in his fastball results. Even though he's getting a ton of strikes with the fastball and a ton of swings and misses, his fastball is still allowing a 407x Woba, which is really high for a good pitch. And usually when I see that, my first reaction is, please throw that pitch less. I think he's got a little bit of an Andrew Heaney problem going on here, where his fastball is good but not great to the point where he can get away with throwing it near the middle of the plate. Like, it's good when he locates it well. When he doesn't locate it well, not so good. The vast majority of his four-seamers that have been put into play were middle or middle up, and four of the six home runs that he's allowed so far this year have been off this pitch. Jordan was actually making fun of me for choosing Varlin today because I've given him such a hard time about his love of Andrew Heaney, and here I am talking up Varland, a, a dude who might have a fastball home run problem himself. And Deserved. Yeah, yeah, I do deserve any of it. I I talked a lot about the the 85% of his repertoire that's getting really good results, but the other 15%, the slider, is actually really weird and fun also. Varlin's slider is just getting weird results so far. It's allowed a, a 0.63 batting average so far, which is obviously incredibly low, 
But what's interesting here is how he gets there. Varland basically never throws his slider in the strike zone. He throws his strike zone, his slider in the strike zone 25% of the time, which is second percentile, meaning almost no one in baseball throws their slider in the zone less often. As a result, he basically never gets called strikes on the pitch because he never throws it in the zone. So even though it's got a league average swinging strike rate, it's got one of the worst slider CSWs in the league. Since this is a, since this is his fourth pitch, I I think it's more of an interesting footnote to his repertoire more than something that drastically swings his potential in one direction or another, but it did catch my eye. For what it's worth, Enosaurus's stuff plus actually likes his slider in spite of it never winding up in the strike zone. And while we're on the subject of Eno and Stuff Plus, uh, I'll also mention that Louis Varland does really well by Eno's Pitching Plus metric, which the, the Pitching Plus actually puts him at 13th in all of baseball. Though I, I, I think Pitching Plus is more of a curiosity than anything definitive about a pitcher at this point. Uh, and I, I think he grades so well in pitching plus because uh, he grades out really well in location plus, which checks out based on what we said earlier about him doing well in PLV and him filling up the strike zone and generally throwing his pitches to the proper locations to get good results. The last thing that I want to talk about with Louis Varland is his opportunity. Varland is currently a part of the Twins rotation. Obviously, he's getting starts, but he's the most likely victim when Kenta Maeda returns. It's either going to be him or Bailey Ober, and I think at this point, the Twins are more likely to keep Ober in the bigs. Maeda is hoping to throw off a mound soon, but as of right now, has no timetable to return. So the hope is that Varland can get another few starts in the majors to solidify his position as a pitcher who's deserving of a rotation spot going forward. His next few starts appear to be at Los Angeles, uh, the AL version, home against Toronto, and home against Cleveland, which that's not a cakewalk of a schedule, but it's also not something that I would run away from or avoid. Uh, I, I would be. I, I think in the, the one league that I do have, Varland, I'm probably going to be throwing him out there for all of those starts. Uh, the, the, I, I, the, the too long didn't read version of all of this is that advanced, advanced stats kind of love Louis Varland and the things that he does well makes it really obvious why he's added velo and just generally looks great right now. Probably my single favorite quick and dirty stat is strikeout rate minus walk rate. And Varland is currently 27th in baseball around players like Zach Wheeler, Nathan Eovaldi, Luis Castillo, you know, good pitchers. Uh, in deep leagues, if he's out there, I would be running out to add him right now. And I would go so far as to say that he could probably have some 12-team relevancy this year. I dig this. So I was looking at this. I was While you were talking, I was looking at his uh, movement on his pitches, specifically the slider. It seems like it's getting more um, horizontal movement than average. And also, if you look at the implied and induced break, or, or the implied break and the, oh my gosh, I forgot how to say it already, um, observe, the implied and observed spin, 
on his pitches. It looks like there has been a slight axis change in terms of how he is doing that. So I'm actually trying to see if he's maybe releasing the ball higher uh, in 2023 from a higher arm slot than he was last year. Um, let me peek here real quick. And if it loads, and it looks like, yes. Ever so slightly, it looks like he has raised up his release point. Uh, it looks like all of his like releases are a bit tighter, too, compared to last year. Looking at it. That's pretty similar, but it is grouped a little bit tighter. It is a tad bit higher. It's centralized a little bit higher, too. So I think that might be a little bit to do with why his uh, movement profile has changed on some of his pitches, too. So that's something that I think maybe warrants a slight bit more of a deep dive at some point. Obviously not right now, because uh, we, we can only do so much in one episode but um that was the rabbit hole that i just went down live while we were while, while i was listening to shrubsy talk about this like why did it why did his slider gain a little bit of like horizontal movement um yeah you've got me you've got me looking at it now too and it it looks like his it, it's what you said i don't i don't think his release point has changed that much but it has gotten more consistent it's very very slight it's very slight it's not it's not much um and it doesn't take much because that's the thing too is like that slight little bit of like change could even just be like how he's cueing stuff out of his hand, like how he's positioning his wrist and things like that. Um, but yeah, it does look like the grouping this year compared to last year is much tighter and it's leading to a slight change in how it's being released. Um, but yeah, the fastball does scare me a little bit, but again, I can't fault you for liking someone like this because I'm so in love with Andrew Heaney and what I think that he can do when he's on, obviously. But like, um, even compared to Heaney, he's get like he's got not quite elite velo but above average and oh for sure yeah i mean i i I guess it doesn't matter when it's major league hitters and you're throwing fastballs uh you know up in middle but i I feel it it does it does matter right it does matter to a certain extent like we i mean i know that carlos marcano has covered this before talking about how like that 94 mile per hour threshold is very very important for pitchers and finding success in the majors uh there's a very clear delineation between pitchers who throw less than that uh benchmark and pitchers that throw above it like they have far more success um so you, I, yeah. I agree that varlin does have that advantage for sure i do worry about it just simply because varlin's barrel rate has doubled more than doubled i think since last year that he's given yeah up, but the, i which, mean the the sample size is so small like yeah. the the era metric that likes him the most is xfip and that's because xfip normalizes home run rates yes and his home run rate is unsustainably high right now like even if he is home run prone he will give up fewer home runs going forward it's just almost guaranteed yeah for sure i guess it's just more so like the because what is i mean his hard hit rate is just slightly above league average it's not like crazy um but it is just a little bit above league average. I do, I do still like Varlin too as like a streamer. I would say, I, don't, uh, I would say probably like you said, he could have like twelve team relevance this year, pretty easily. I think that the skill set is definitely there. Like you said, the fastball has got a ton of velo, um, for pitch mix. So I do like Varlin right now as a streamer as well. I think that's a good one to call out, and also like the strikeout upside is really a lot higher than you're going to find with a lot of folks that you're going to be able to get off the wire. So yeah, I like this call out a lot. He's got at least something positive or interesting going on with all four of his pitches. And I don't think he has like a straight up, I don't think he has a bad pitch in the mix. 
Heck yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick ad break. And right after that, I will go into my first deep dive. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we're back. So after talking about Louis Varland, we're doing the old switcheroo where Schwabzi talks about a pitcher and I talk about a hitter. I decided this week to cover someone that I think is like what I will call the cream of the cromulence. And that's Dominic Fletcher of the Arizona Diamondbacks. So the outfield situation at the outside of this regular season for the D-backs was really crowded. Generally, they were trying to find at-bats for Kyle Lewis, Jake McCarthy, and Alec Thomas, while Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Corbin Carroll were pretty much dead on locks for spots. Obviously, Gurriel splitting time between the outfield and DH. Um, even Seth Beer was kind of maybe in the conversation before the season started and then obviously started out in AAA. But since that point, a lot has happened with that D-backs outfield situation, particularly in the past couple of weeks, and it's really hard to think that Fletcher's performance isn't the cause of some of that. Um, so after struggling mightily to begin the year, Jake McCarthy got sent down just five days before Fletcher's call-up. Then on this past Tuesday, Alec Thomas was sent back to AAA after struggling mighty as, mightily as well. Um, but obviously it's not just the struggles of Thomas and McCarthy that led to the change. Fletcher really did force the issue between his performances in both AAA and the majors so far this year. So before being called up, Fletcher started as hot as anyone in the minors, throwing up a 323 average with 12 extra base hits and 35 runs plus RBIs in just 22 games played, which is crazy. He had so many at-bats in those games, but just the sheer production that he put up early in the season was really, really impressive. So since his call-up, He's made good on the promise that was shown in those minor league numbers, racking up a 368 average with two home runs, 21 runs plus RBIs, all in just 55 vet bats. All signs, at least based on the stuff that I was able to find, for me, point to this being legit. And that starts for me with his plate discipline and his contact ability. So he's got so far in the small sample size, again, in the majors, a 91st percentile contact rate an 81st percentile zone contact rate, and a 78th percentile swinging strike rate. So he's not swinging and missing a ton. The zone contact is really good. The overall contact is really exceptional, honestly. Um, the other really exciting thing in terms of quality of contact is that he's not really putting up like elite top-end exit velocities by any means, but he has been hitting the ball hard at an above league average rate. So far, he's hit it at 42.6% for a hard hit rate. MLB average is right around 36%. Um, this is really akin to the same kind of upside that I pointed out as reasoning why I liked Garrett Mitchell in the preseason. Uh, may he rest in peace. 
Um, it's not going to be like he's going to be hitting a ton of home runs necessarily, obviously, because he's not hitting that elite exit velocity all the time. But since he is getting to that hard hit rate so frequently, he should be able to continue hitting for an average that is respectable with that sort of consistency. Um, so I think there's a lot more in terms of Arizona Diamondbacks outfielders that we were probably higher on at the start of the season. Obviously, Jake McCarthy was a big one. Alec Thomas, after his underlying metrics, looked really, really good at the beginning of the season. Before he faded off and then got sent back down, we were all on him. Fletcher wasn't really someone that any of us, I think, had our eyes on. Um, and that's because he just wasn't really like a gold star prospect by any means. Um, Prospects Live had put him at 11th overall for prospects in the Diamondback system with a future grade of 45. And Fangraphs put him at just a 40 future value um, with the organiz- organizational rank pending. Uh, but taking a look back, his skills have been repu- er, reputable, repeatable, uh, and translated to every single stop he's been made in his career. He's cleared a 300 batting average at every single level, level and over his time in AA, AAA, and now the majors, he's run a sub-20% K rate all while playing solid outfield defense. Uh, he's not like the best athlete in the world by any means, but he's always been touted for his ability to take really clean routes to the ball and play set, like just very sound outfield defense. Um, this sort of steady presence obviously isn't like the flashiest thing when it comes to fantasy baseball production, but when you have a hitter with a really, really solid average floor who earns regular playing time, that's the exact kind of player I'm after in 15 plus team home leagues particularly when I'm really desperate for a boost in batting average like I am in, like in TGFBI, for instance, and honestly, most of my other leagues too because I kind of sell, sell on batting average uh, when I draft. Um, but also for some added benefit beyond the uh, batting average being really good, he's likely due for some positive regression in terms of his walk rate. His walk rate had been around like 9% at pretty much every level of the minors. It's regressed down to like sub-5, like 4.9% in the major so far. Um, I don't think it's going to recover all the way to 9 plus percent, but I think we're going to see it tick back up closer to league average as the season rolls along and he finds himself getting more comfortable, so the on-base percentage is also going to tick up a little bit. And that might offset any regression he has in terms of the batting average, because obviously like 368 batting average, his BABIP is a bit high right now. Uh, I think that'll kind of balance each other out as the season rolls along. So at the end of the day, I think, again, he's the cream of the cromulent crop, and I'd be happy to have him as a fifth outfielder in a 15-team league. So that's kind of where I'm targeting him. Stop trying to make Fletch happen. Fletch? Sorry, I don't get, I don't, I don't get it. Have you never watched Mean Girls? What's a Mean Girl? Is that you? I don't. I don't. I don't believe you that you don't understand this reference. <laughs> Stop trying to make Fletch happen. I that actually might be the title of the episode. Now I was gonna say I was gonna uh, nice. cre- I was gonna say Cream of the Cromlins, but I think Stop trying to make Fletch happen fits because it's also about a, a player that we've talked about. So I think we're probably gonna roll with that. Thanks for the episode title, Schwabs. Nailed it. Nailed it. All right, so we're gonna roll to our league wide roundup, but first let's take. Another ad break. All right, we are back. Schwebzy, let's hop right into the NL East here and start with Miami. Uh, You have down here that you want to talk about Dylan Floro. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly the closer as long as A.J. Puck is down. 
Now, the last update for Puck is that he's throwing from 90 feet, which means he is still a couple of steps away from even getting a minor league rehab assignment. So we probably got another week or two of Dylan Floro in the in the closer job. Minimum, I would I would say two weeks. So, I mean, he's gotten three saves in a row in the last in the Marlins last six games. I'd say he needs to be universally rostered, at least, uh, you know, during the time that Puck is down with how valuable saves are right now. Yeah, I would say that probably at maybe close to two weeks. If that's the furthest along that Puck is in his recovery. I know that like playing catch from 90 feet is not like terribly, terribly far out, but I would say probably two weeks, right? Something like that. Right. And also, do you think in any world, is there an opportunity that with Floro doing as well as he has, like if he continues to pitch really well, is there any challenging Puck for the closer job even after he comes back or any like splitting of time? Uh, I, I think Puck is the more talented pitcher, so I, it's probably in the the Marlins' best interest to keep him in that role and, unless he really flames out. He really only had like two bad appearances this year, if I'm remembering correctly. That sounds right. Yeah. I kind of want to... Mm. I think there's some other... God, this is the hard part, is I know that I need saves. I have Liam Hendricks waiting on my TGFBI bench, and then there's like one other closer that I think I want more, so I think I probably will end up passing on Floro, or at least setting him as like the backup backup bid for this week, but I do like this call mm-hmm. out. Um, he can yeah. probably get you like, I mean, over the course of the next two weeks, probably at least two or three more saves. And tallying more and more of those counts, obviously, uh, because like you said, they're very hard to come by these days. Um, the other two players that I wanted to bring up for Miami are uh, Brian De La Cruz. Uh, he's in the midst of a 12-game hitting streak right now, including two home runs and four doubles in his last six games. Uh, I actually didn't check to see if he continued his hitting streak tonight. I have to check that real quick. That might be a 13-game hitting streak at this point. Do-do-do, stalling for time. Do-do-do-do. I can't find it. Oh, no. I, De La Cruz was a, was a favorite of mine heading into the season, but the, it's a crowded outfield, so... I you know, it wasn't apparent that he would get a full slate of plate appearances. But as long if he's playing every day, I I love BDLC. Uh, he had two more hits tonight, including a double and another home run with three RBI. Yeah, he's on. So one. he is absolutely on one right now. So yeah, this would be a nice uh, pickup. He's hitting in the middle of that order, and while it's not the sexiest order in the world, I mean Jorge Soler, Luis Arias in front of you, Garrett Cooper now back and healthy. Um. That's not the worst place to be. Fifth in that lineup, fourth or fifth, is where he's been hitting. So I kind of dig that one a decent amount. And then also I want to talk about Braxton Garrett. Uh, obviously, someone that I talked about in the preseason and someone that I think still has value as a streamer here and there. He starts tomorrow, so you probably won't be able to pick him up, obviously, before this po- podcast is released because you're going to be listening to it on the day that he actually pitches in San Francisco, uh, which would be an okay matchup. But then he gets... Coors after that. Dude, would you believe that the Giants with their platooning ways are actually seventh worst in baseball against lefties? They're really bad against left-handers, yeah. Trust me, I know. I, I yeah. have Braxton Garrett in a league and I am going to be streaming him tomorrow. I I basically Same. keep him on my bench to like throw out there against teams that are bad against lefties when it comes right down to it. Um because he does have a pretty clear path to starts at this point. Um, so I do like that, but yeah, skip cores. Don't bother with that. 
Um, I would say stream him at home in solid matchups against teams that are weak against left-handed pitching. Jordan, I'm going to say something controversial. Oh, boy. I uh, In my NL only league where I have Braxton Garrett. Are you going to start think, him in cores? I think I'm going to start him in cores. God, I hope you don't regret that. I, I, I mean, I want him to do well, obviously. He's one of my boys. You know this. Um, mm-hmm. That's dangerous. And I like it. The Rockies are the worst team in baseball against lefties. By just like WRC plus or yes, uh, they okay. they have they have the ninth highest K rate. They have the what what is this the sixth lowest OPS, mm-hmm. which is not adjusted for environment. Uh, I I think God, uh, <laughs> fantasy baseball gods help me. I think I'm going to do it. Lord have mercy. I'm about to start Braxton Garrett in course. <laughs> <laughs> well, Godspeed, brother. Good luck. I hope it turns out well for you. Honestly, with, with how things have been going this year, like I feel like we've been doing good process, terrible results a lot lately. At least I've been doing that. I know that seven earned runs with my TGFBI team. This is going to be no process. Great results is what is what I think is going <laughs> to happen. There's no. There's actually some process here. I think. I, I think that you've identified potentially what could be maybe something that goes against the grain, but could benefit you. And obviously you got to take those risks and you might be one of the only people to benefit from it. So, uh, all right, let's go to the New York Mets. Uh, this is going to be Schwebzy central because obviously he gets to talk about his team. I get to talk about the Brewers all the time. Uh, Shubsy, take it away. You get three people to talk about here. Yes. So Tyler McGill's results have actually been pretty good. And I, I say actually, because I'm honestly not sure how he's getting it done skimming his results makes it look like he's just barely getting by and frankly getting really really lucky one thing that's been interesting about his year is how his pitch mix has fluctuated from game to game like two starts ago he threw his curveball at a career high rate more than he ever had before and it got great results and then this past start against the rays he literally only threw the pitch four times featuring his slider instead which kind of got pulverized in, in spite of the pretty good start. I don't know what's going on with McGill. It it feels like he's tinkering. It feels like the Mets are tinkering. Uh, the curveball, I, I know, was... I forget if it was Verlander or Scherzer that was preaching this to the young guys on the team, but supposedly they were telling them to work the curveball in more early in counts to try to get you know free strikes. It It, it feels like there's some tinkering going on here, but... As much as it t- pains me to say it, at this moment in time, I do not trust McGill. Mm. I I'm not starting him in, yeah, in in all but the absolute cushiest of matchups. His next start is at Chicago, uh, in Wrigley against the Cubs. I I would do it if I had to, but I wouldn't be happy about it. You know, the Eric Hosmerless Cubs. <laughs> no more veteran leadership. Maybe maybe we should start uh, all our pitches against the Cubs now. Just send it, baby. Just send it. No, uh, I'm kind of on the same page with McGill. Feels like, like you said, I feel like he's been getting kind of lucky. Oh, hang on. I need to pull this up really quick because it's really... Uh, it's oh, really, gross. Yuck, dude. <laughs> it's really dabbing. Uh, Tyler McGill right now has, I, I think his ERA is 383? 388. His expected ERA per baseball savant is 6.01. 6.01. Oh, damn. I tried to guess that as you were saying it. Not far yeah, off. It's, 
It's really, really high. It's really, really bad. And that was an incredible guess, by the way. Thank you. I'm very good at guessing. We know this. Yeah. This is yeah, common his, knowledge at this point. His his walk rate is double what it was last year. His strikeout rate is eight percent lower than it was last year. Both, you know, trending in terrible directions. You you do not love to see it. I I love that he is making it work with smoke and mirrors because it's the the Mets desperately need any good starts they can get. But yeah, I'm I'm not banking on it going forward. Is smoke the name of his fastball and mirrors the name of his slider? None of his pitches deserve nicknames. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, let's talk about Mark Vientos. <laughs> so uh, Vientos is a recent call up for the Mets. Uh, the we, I, I love what's going on with the team right now. The vibes seem good again, at least briefly, with the uh, emergence of the baby Mets, with Vientos, Beatty, and Alvarez all taking prominent roles with the team right now. But knowing the Mets and knowing Buck Showalter and his love of veterans. I don't think Vientos is going to play enough to demand being rostered right now. Like, Vientos hit a home run in his first game in the majors this year, and then was sat the next game, and when asked why, uh, Buck Showalter said, well, we we only have room to play, like, you can only play one third baseman at a, t- at a time. So I I don't think that the Mets are going to be willing to think outside the box and get Beatty more left field reps or, you know, get like I, I, or, or put one of them as the DH. Uh, Vientos is the worst fielder of the two between him and Beatty. So I, I think their best team configuration is for Beatty to play third and Vientos to DH, but they have Vogelbach as the strong side platoon guy there. So I, I just, it's, it's a little bit of an awkward lineup fit right now. I think if Vientos has a hot week, he becomes must roster. Like if he forces himself into the playing into everyday playing time, and he's a big boy that hits the hits the ball far, and he's a Met, so clearly I love him. But I see no reason to add him at this moment. Sadly, I will say today they did DH Vientos, and then had Beatty play third. Yes, so and they I, did do it today. But. Thumbs up, Mets. You gold star. You did it right today. Good job, Buck. Proud of you. <laughs> um, all right, one last Met to talk about before we move on to the Nationals, uh, which is another schwebsy centric section here. Let's talk about Francisco Alvarez, another uh, baby right. Met. I feel about Francisco Alvarez the way that you felt about Garrett Mitchell two months ago in that I cannot talk about him rationally because I love him so. Um, he's really, I I think he's really good. I think he's actually quickly approaching needs to be universally rostered status. Like he's 21 and already doing what he's doing. He might already be a top 10 catcher in baseball. Maybe, maybe this is hyperbole. Maybe, maybe I am just being a homer, but is that how you say that word? How else would you say it? Hyperbole? I don't, don't just, just keep going. Is is that the, is that the one after the Super Bowl? That's the, keep going. The <laughs> that's that's Just the go. XFL Just championship go. game, the Hyper Bowl. Can we can we not can we not linger on this? Just hyperbole. Stop! Just stop it. Uh, uh, Alvarez has game winning hits, or, or sorry, game tying or or uh, lead changing hits after the seventh inning in like his last two starts, and it's the first time that uh, I I think I oh, God I forget what the stat was. 
but it was it was some something that like no child has ever done before because he is only like 21 um he's he's been hitting really well he's hit several huge home runs this week so i i don't think i can i, I don't think my judgment can be trusted anymore uh with regards to alvarez but i i do think you should add him if you need a catcher and he's available i believe that the stat was he was the first uh baby to gritty across home plate <laughs> something like that kids would, kids any kids listening to this podcast I'm trying to relate would, to the kids he, he he did he did it he hit the euro step and then the gritty over the over the home plate or something oh my god he's widowy doing the gritty across home plate <laughs> here it is he he delivered a game tying hit with his team down to its last out in each of his last two games played only one other mlb player in the last 10 years has done that in back-to-back games played albert pujols in 2017 and that is cu- courtesy of opta stats a twitter account i have never heard of before just now is it like your porch sports i don't think so <laughs> the the official twitter page for stats performs u.s sports coverage god this this space is saturated there are too many websites uh that that i'm making that official judgment now we need we need to nuke half the internet <laughs> as long get, as we're safe are we gonna get demonetized for saying the word nuke on a podcast Twi- no but if you say oh, it twice okay. yes so yes now now yes N- nuke nuke anyways nuke. <laughs> let's go to the Washington large nuke bar oh nuke nuke yeah uh not quite yet not quite yet to talk about the anal central uh let's talk about the washington nationals here and start with lane thomas shrubsy he's just been insane lately he's got a casual 149 wrc plus in may with and remember, this it's May twentieth, so we've still got some you know ten days left. He's already got six home runs, a couple steals, fifteen runs, and eleven RBI in just eighteen games. That will play in literally any league type. He's on a roll. He should be rostered. Succinct that, and also effective. It. I love it. Yeah, uh, and that, uh, you you want succinct? Uh, how about Luis Garcia? He provides volume. He provides batting average. If you need batting average, you want Luis Garcia. Boom. Nailed it. Excellent. I love this. All right. Patrick Corbin is the last Washington national to cover here. I, man, I'm so torn on Corbin. (laughs) I really am. He's had some like really good starts this year, but still has shown signs of like not being completely fixed and it scares the absolute daylights out of me. I, I wish he was never good before so that I could stop thinking that he might be good again. I'm trying to think of a pop culture equivalent of this. I don't know why I want to say Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. That man has taken enough flack from the baseball community as is just based off that one TikTok. And I like uh, Timothy Chalamet. I just don't know why his name popped into existence in my in my idiot brain the second you said that um no i i can't believe i did this but i actually rostered patrick corbin in two leagues because he was i i was so apoplectic about the the state of the mets that i saw that he was facing the mets and i'm like i'm gonna add him because either i'm gonna reverse jinx it and corbin will get lit up or the mets will continue to be a garbage fire and i will profit in fantasy and it kind of it was kind of neither because Corbin got the win, 
and it was like technically a successful stream but he also had a 1.5 whip and one strikeout so it, I, mm-hmm. I it was i it was like a dusty donut we we call that in pitcher list land uh the upside is low i do not recommend adding him so is this is the league that you, these leagues that you picked him up and was this is like this is like a the deepest of deep league so like a six team nl east only league it's it's not pretty out there the waiver wire was yeah. not pretty at the time yeah, I will say I am very excited about the fact that like Lane Thomas, among other names that are out there, it feels like the outfield market has shown some new life as of late, which has been good for me because like I feel like outfield is what I'm struggling with, and I, I underdrafted outfield in literally every single one of my leagues this year. Um, oh, so the reason that I had added Corbin was because it was a Mets Detroit uh, two start week, and. Ooh. If Corbin couldn't succeed in that week, then he was dead to me for this year. But so far, so good. We'll we'll see how he does that tomorrow against Detroit. Oh yeah, he is up tomorrow against Detroit. Forgot about that. Nice. Uh, all right, I think that's it for the NL East. Let's go to the NL Central. This is going to start with the Milwaukee Brewers. I'm only going to talk about one brewer this week. Um, trying to behave a little bit, but it's going to be Owen Miller. So Miller has hit leadoff for the Brewers in a handful of games since May 10th, uh, five out of seven games that he has started. He has been in the leadoff spot and has been just in general this year putting together really solid at-bats, uh, including two games when Christian Yelich sat due to back tightness. He was leading off. Um, it seems like Council is slotting Miller in at the top of the lineup against left-handed pitching, and it makes a ton of sense because he's hitting 394 on the season against lefties which compared to the Brewers' overall team average of just 216 is pretty great. Um, And they're still playing him against right-handed pitching kind of all over the place uh, with the hot bat being what it is. With him swinging well, and he's playing second base, third base, and left field all over the past week, uh, it's hard not to find stuff to like here. I'm going to take a stab at him in TGFBI since he's available in my league. He's also available in literally every single TGFBI league right now which is something that I think is pretty rare for a player that's playing seemingly as well as he is. Um, and obviously a few other leagues where I can try to take a stab at him. But uh, I do like Owen Miller. Again, someone that can buoy, hopefully buoy my my terrible, terrible, terrible batting average in a lot of these leagues. I don't know why. Like, again, broken brain. You say buoy and I just think baba buoy, baba buoy, baba buoy. That's just like New York brain. That means we're that means we are recording this too late in the night. Very but you also else. wrote about uh the Cardinals and their recent rookie call up, Matthew Libertor. Who absolutely just tore apart the Brewers, speaking of uh left handed pitching, uh that they struggle against. So I covered him ever so briefly in a previous episode, talking about how if the St. Louis rotation continu- continues to struggle, he would be the name that they would call to to come in and start, and it finally happened. If you were able to snag him and stream him versus the Brewers this week, uh, you were rewarded with five scoreless innings and six strikeouts. His command was a bit suspect at times during the start, as evidenced by the three walks that he had. But there were flashes of him throwing his very, very disgusting curveball, and he, he did a decent job of elevating his fastball to limit the damage the Brewers hitters could do. So all in all, I think that the K stuff is going to be there. He was averaging around like 11 and change Ks per nine so far in the minors this year. But I really do think he'll be living and dying by how well he can locate that breaker on a start-to-start basis. Because if he can get that over for first-pitch strikes and steal 
early strikes and counts and get ahead, it's going to be probably pretty smooth sailing for him. If he doesn't have command of that breaker and he's leaving it just over the heart of the plate and he's getting behind in counts, then it's going to be rough for him. So, uh, yeah, I do like Matthew Liberatore as a streamer, though, especially against teams like the Brewers, who are just abysmal against left-handed pitching. All right. And then uh, on the offensive side of things, I put Paul DeYoung here because he won't stop hitting Paul DeDongs. But I am... <laughs> I'm not a believer. <laughs> just that very small... Like, <laughs> he's, he's a streaky very hitter. Nice. He's done this before. The second you add him is when he'll stop hitting home runs. Uh, I mean, ride the streak if you're in need of a middle infielder, but be prepared to drop him once he cools off because the Cardinals are a pretty crowded team, so when he does cool off, he will not play much. That's the thing, too, is like he's hit three home runs over the past week, but his average is only like 150 over the past week or something like mm-hmm. that. Like, I don't know. It, it comes it comes with the territory, like Schwabzi said with DeYoung. Like, it's very streaky. I don't know if I like this. This is this This feels like a trap to me, but obviously if you can catch him on that hot streak, even if it's just the tail end of it and you can get like a, a three or four games of good production out of him. It's better than nothing, so I dig that. Um, all right, let's go to the NL West. Talk about Arizona a bit here. Uh, I just wanted to cover two pitchers here. One, Miguel Castro. He's got two saves in the past week and seems to be emerging as the primary saves option in Arizona, which I know that that was an absolute enigma for us to try to identify who was actually going to get the save opportunities and who was going to emerge as an actual reliable option in Arizona at the beginning of the season. So it's nice to have some semblance of clarity even though it's probably going to change in a week or two anyways <laughs> um but I, I'll, I'll probably throw in a bid on castro maybe as like my third or fourth backup to the reliever that i'm actually trying to go for later this week um and then the other person obviously brandon fought someone that everyone was very very high on excited to make his debut struggled mightily in his first two starts finally had a good start at home against the Giants, uh, where both his curveball and his slider had a CSW north of 33%. The fastball, I think the velo isn't really there. It's not super great. I kind of hope he leans into an even heavier breaker approach, a la Josiah Gray. Um, Both his curveball and his slider in his last start had elite strike percentages, and I think that's going to be a huge key for him moving forward as well. If he's getting them over the plate and throwing them for strikes... I really think that Fott's going to be dominant. If he you know continually how, misses the zone, yikes. Uh, you know how when I was talking about Louis Varland and I said that he had like a 400 ex-woba on his fastball and that makes me think he should throw his fastball less? Yes. Brandon Fott's ex-woba on his four-seamer is 501. Correct. It gets hit so hard. Yeah. So it's, hard. It's not a good fastball. And it doesn't have like the positive traits that Varlins has either. Like it doesn't get a lot. It, like, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have a great CSW. It doesn't get a lot of swinging strikes. It's just not a great pitch. And I, he he had a quote where he said like, "It was good for me in the minors. I can make it work up here." And I I feel like mm-hmm. that might just be some athlete stubbornness there. I'm hoping that. Brent Strom can get him sorted out because he, you know, he's he's a good pitching coach. He should be able to, you know, get good results out of what should be a good pitcher. Exactly. Um, that'll come with time too. I think that 
whether or not obviously this is speculation if it's like an ego thing or like a stubbornness thing like you think that you can just like push through it and like you'll do good eventually you're gonna have to like make a change (laughs) um but all right let's go to the colorado rockies and brenton doyle was the one person that i wanted to cover um he's seemingly the everyday center fielder since being called up and has provided a really nice power speed combo he's got four home runs and six stolen bases so far and just 58 plate appearances uh he's a reverse splits guy he's really raked so far against right-handed pitching as a right-handed hitter so i would stream him against righties uh and maybe just avoid playing him against lefties because he really hasn't been getting that many at bats and in those at bats he's performed pretty poorly so that's kind of where i'm at with brenton doyle but yeah really nice little surprise here since the moment that I said Brenton Doyle was just this year's Garrett Hampson, he's been on fire. So we have you to blame or thank. I don't know, depending on if you're yeah, depending or not. depending on if you roster him or not. Yeah, uh, I, st- you- I still don't think he's that good, but I, he's he is really killing it right now. Playing time, baby. That's all we need. Uh, you threw down Randall Grichuk here. Is he still under twenty percent, dude? Seven percent. This is, is just your on? this is just your weekly PSA that if he's out there he should not be <laughs> he's he's too good to be on like the waiver wire of 93 percent of these very, leagues very strange let me look real quick i just want to see what his season line is right now if i go to grichik and what's it going to tell me what is his season line so far exit velocities are not good a little max ev i should say average exit velocity looks nice uh current batting average is wait where is it 352 like he doesn't have he has one home run and one stolen base not much else going on outside of that 10 runs scored which is good so but like N- nfc leagues, average that will play yeah nfc leagues let you it's weekly lineups technically but it also lets you change your hitters on fridays Correct. so i benched randall gritchick for the second half of this week because he was on the road in texas and uh, he responded by immediately having another two-hit game today so yeah I still started him because again, well, aren't you smart, buddy? I, my outfield depth is just non-existent in TGFPI. I have no choice. I got to do it. Um, but alas, I was rewarded and you were punished. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Grichik should be rostered in more leagues. That's, that's, uh, what this that's, is all about. That's the synopsis. All right. Uh, that's it for the NL West. Just two teams really that we had people that we wanted to cover. Let's go to the AL East. Uh, start with Baltimore. I wrote down Kyle Bradish. He's got two straight quality starts. Uh, one was against a downtrodden Pittsburgh offense, which has plummeted back to earth after having a really hot start to the season. Woof. But also, he had a pretty good start against the Los Angeles Angels, who are nothing to sneeze at, honestly, like more closer to like an average team, um, but far, far, far better than uh, that Pittsburgh offense is. Um, he was obviously much more dominant versus that Pittsburgh lineup, but I. Honestly, at this point, Bradish and a lot of the Baltimore rotation, question mark, have kind of earned my trust as streamers against squads that are average or worse versus right-handed pitching. I can think about, like, Bradish. I think about, like, the guy that you're going to talk about as well. Um, And then also, like, um, Kyle Gibson. We're kind of on the same level in that regard. The... Baltimore is just loving getting these mediocre pitchers and getting good results out of them. Like it, it's kind of incredible. And then they have the best Uber prospect th- that the pitching world has seen in years. And 
he's terrible. I, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't I understand it. I'm sorry. I'm still reeling from uh, what Grayson Rodriguez did to my ratios last week. But mm. we were talking about Dean Kramer as uh, the other guy. And the peripherals stink. But the peripherals stunk last year when he was good for two solid months. He's not my favorite ad. But given the the landscape of pitching right now, you can absolutely do worse. I have added him in, I think, two leagues just because there you got I, I probably lost Drew Rasmussen or something and I, I the waiver wire was grim. So I, I think Kramer is one of the better readily available options out there given, you know, the the, the coaching and the ballpark and the offense behind him. I think he, he could go on a solid run again. He's he might be at, at the start of one right now. He's been good lately. All right, let's go to Boston uh, and talk about Brian Bayo. Um, still under rostered IMO, but he gets the Angels in Los Angeles next week, which isn't a matchup that particularly interests me. That park is just very, very rough, and that offense is average or better against right-handed pitching, some kind of passing on that. The other person, though, that I did want to cover is James Paxton, and he had another solid start today in Petco versus the Padres he also lines up for the Angels next and even though the Angels are an above average offense against left-handed pitching I am more likely to try this than throwing out Brian Bayo though it might still be a fade for me if I was desperate I would feel comfortable throwing Paxton out there he's looked really really good so far like the velo is up um getting the getting the strikeouts like the ratios have been pretty solid uh, overall, Paxton looks great so far, so I'd be fine uh, taking and rolling the, di- the dice on him for his upcoming start against the Angels. Um, all right, let's go to New York Yankees. This is the reliever that I think I am targeting the heaviest this weekend uh, for Fab and for just bids in general across all my leagues, and that's Wandy Peralta. Uh, three saves and four appearances in the past week, and it seems to be the clear favorite for saves in New York for the Yankees. I mean... It looks really, really good. I know that you threw something else down here too. Well, the the Yankees bullpen is a bit of an enigma right now because I I, I have to disagree. I think Michael King is the favorite for saves, but King's usage is a little bit weird. Uh, so I don't, you know, if, like I don't see him throwing like back to backs really. Sure. Roster Resource has it as a four person committee with uh, King. Clay Holmes, Wandy Peralta, and Ron Marinaccio, who I've brought up many a time on the podcast because mm-hmm. he's got a dope changeup and gets a bunch of strikeouts. I if King is out there, he's my favorite. Wandy Peralta is a lefty, so you know, anytime that the ninth inning is lining up with multiple lefties, like I think he's gonna be the guy. But uh, it's a it's not really a situation I wanna mess with too much, you know? Like three, the last three saves have been gotten by three different clo- uh, relievers. Yeah, I just think of Peralta, and I feel like he's been generally one of the more dominant ones in that pen. And I feel like I'm trying to think their starting rotation. Who do they have? Cole Nestor, Clark Schmidt, Johnny Brito, and I uh, Severino's back this week. Is Brito a righty? Yes. So that's that's I think that's where part of my reasoning was too. I'd sanity check myself because I thought that's what I saw. Um, 
but you have all those guys, and you have Domingo Herman as well in there. Uh, all those righties means that they're going to stack lefty-heavy lineups against them in theory, which Maybe. makes me think that Wandy would be the one to get the most opportunities at the end of games because of that. That's that's where my thought process went. Um, but yes, I, I think that there will be some love spread amongst a lot of the other relievers because they have so many good ones to choose from, which is, I mean, what a problem to have. Must be nice. Yeah. It's like, I say that in jest about them, but also it's a, actually a problem for us as fantasy players. But yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, let's go to the Tampa Bay Rays. Shrubs, you want to talk about Jose Siri? Yes, a, a frequent discussion topic of mine is Jose Siri. Right now, he is not playing every day, but since coming off the IL, he's had 57 plate appearances, and in just 57 plate appearances, he's got four home runs, three stolen bases, and 11 runs, which, you know, extrapolate that over a full season, which is, you know, bad analysis process, but that's like 40 home runs, 30 steals, and 110 runs, uh, which is a stupid, stupid three-category production. Obviously, he's not going to do that. Obviously, he's not going to get the opportunity to do that. But for daily leagues, I, I think he's a really fun option for, you know, power speed. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's go to the AL Central. Uh, the White Sox. I just want to talk about one person. And it's Jake Berger. Berger bombs have been abound. Uh, three home runs in the past week, and I don't really see how they can keep him out of the lineup with how impactful his bat has been. And I think that's kind of the case. He's been DHing pretty much every day since Yohan Mankata returned. So I don't think there's any playing time in terms of at bats in question. I think also beyond that, whenever Yohan Mankata needs to take a day off, Berger's going to be playing third base likely, anyways. Um, I think that Berger is a must roster in 15 team leagues. I think the bat is shown to be incredibly valuable. Just absolutely elite exit velocities, too, on Berger. So, like, the upside in terms of power is absolutely there. This is something that I think is, at this point, with how much play that he has gotten, pretty reliably a good bet uh, for your deep leagues. So, Berger uh, was injured from, you know, early uh, for, like, the first week of May. But yeah. other th- other than the time that he was injured, he has not sat a game since like early earlier in April. Correct. Yeah, and and I think that was kind I, of an audition you know, for him, right? Yeah, I mean, like the team is kind of ravaged with injuries at the at the moment and kind of all season long. But unless they got a hundred percent healthy, I don't really see Berger being forced out. Yeah, not a chance. I think I think he's done enough too to be able to like warrant a a chance to hang on to the job too. There's a lot of bats that they can try to get into that DH spot, but he's been so awesome. I really don't want that. I've, I've, this is also very selfish of me to not want him to be taken out of the lineup in any capacity. But I think that I mean when you when you have an OPS of over a thousand on that team, the only person that's been hitting anywhere near as good as you has been Luis Robert. Like. I think they have to keep him in the lineup for as long as possible. And another PSA, it is Robert. It is. It is Robert. Um, all right, let's go to the Detroit Tigers. Uh, I want to talk about Michael Lorenzen. So his last three starts, he's had 20 innings pitched, three quality starts in each, 0.9 ERA and a 0.9 whip. And this upcoming week, he's got a really, really good set of matchups. He's got a two-start week against 
Kansas City in Kansas City, and then versus the White Sox at home. So two really good pitchers parks. Um, this feels like to me, even though like the strikeout upside's not necessarily there, Lorenzen I think is probably my favorite low roster percentage two start pitcher that I can run out there for a stream this upcoming week. I'm probably gonna try to grab him and throw him out there in TGFBI just to kind of put my money where my mouth is here. It's a a very specific criteria, but I do agree with you. Yes. Um, I will say I did the same thing with Colin Ray earlier this year and it kind of worked out. So hopefully it continues to work in my favor, but yeah, I do like Michael Lorenzen this week though. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's walking fewer people than ever. And I, I say all the time that walking very few people is a, really great place to start like maximizing your your talents yes all right uh you also put alex uh fado here yeah uh he's interesting uh i i he's he's another one he's kind of in the same camp as um uh, kramer who i talked about earlier where the strikeout numbers are not going to be fantastic the peripherals are not going to be fantastic but it's a good ballpark and you might be able to squeeze a few quality starts out of him. Not my favorite, but again, the the waiver wire is in general not my favorite uh, right now. Fair enough. All right, let's go to Kansas City. Uh, and you had a couple names down here, including the person that I did a deep dive on last week, uh, Nick Prado. Yeah, I, and if you really want to hear more about Nick Prado and haven't yet, listen to last week's episode because Jordan, as always, did a great did great work on his deep dive. But uh, he hasn't had the best week, but still on the year, he's got a casual 152 WRC plus and even added a stolen base since the last time we talked about him, which I wouldn't expect too much more of. But it's a, you know, it never, never hurts to get a, a, a free stolen base from a guy you don't expect it from. We'll take him where we can get him. Uh, exactly. You, you also read down Michael Massey, who broke up, unfortunately, some, well, he broke up um michael kopech's no hitter yeah which are words that i did not expect to hear this year uh but (laughs) massey is he's being sat a little too frequently for my taste like he has sat in three of the last uh what nine games i think this is uh yeah it's it's not what you want but he has been hitting well lately and the Royals have seen a string of like a dozen righties in a row. I don't think uh, Massey is much of a platoon guy anyway. I I just think that the reason that he's been sitting more often lately is because of Michael Garcia's emergence. Uh, I I've I've kind of been on the record all year long as not being a big fan of Massey, and I guess that kind of just continues because he's just sitting. He he's sitting too much and in. Since it's not in a, a platoon situation, it's unexpected patterns. So it's yeah. just not something you can predict. I know that this was someone. So Massey was someone that I can't remember who took him, but I feel like he was covered in the post 350 mock draft that we did in spring training with yes. the guys from On the Wire yes. and Keeper Cut. Um, I cannot recall who talked about him. I want to say it was the on the wire guys because I feel like this is a Kevin pick that Adam had to cover. <laughs> I, I want to say it was it was Adam. That that's my, what my gut says. 
yeah but. oh and uh by the way folks at home uh if if you're if you want to get more me which i don't know why you would i will <laughs> actually be covering for kevin and uh being uh hel- helping out adam uh, with on the wire this weekend so next episode of on the wire be on the lookout for moi i love how you're just like hey folks do you want more me don't <laughs> <laughs> don't want more me don't want more me stop just don't do that uh <laughs> so good at self-promotion <laughs> love it <laughs> all right let's go to minnesota uh i had two names down here i want to talk about joey gallo the average is still terrible it's not going to be good. It's probably going to be bad. Uh, but damn, if he doesn't continue impacting the ball at, at an elite level, he's still going to hit home runs. He's still a big boy that hits ball hard, makes ball go far, and we love him for it. Um, the other person, Kyle Farmer, not really flashy whatsoever, but he is another one of these cromulent compilers, and sometimes that's all you need off the wire. It is worth noting, though, that so far this year he is a he is posting a career high OPS at 820, um, and also the multi position eligibility is just icing on the cake here. Kyle Farmer, pretty decent. Um, not going to be flashy, but going to be good. Yeah, as long as he's playing every day. Yes. Uh, and then you have one name down here, which I think is a good one. Uh, it finally looks like his wrist is feeling better. <laughs> Finally, Alex Kirilov, we are just simply waiting for a healthy stretch of play for once in his young career. The early returns this year so far are fantastic, so I would be rushing to add him if he was available in any of my leagues. Uh, And if he's available in yours, he's probably worth rostering. He's been just absolutely on a tear since coming back up from his injury. He has... Let's see. He has sat against lefties three times since coming back from his rehab assignment, so that is a little bit concerning. But uh, hopefully, uh, he he had he had he did play against the lefty on the sixteenth. So hopefully, the Twins, you know, start working him into more of an everyday role now that he's back up, healthy, and raking. Here we go. All right. Uh, let's get into the last division in the AL West. Let's talk about. Mickey Moniak of the Los Angeles Angels, Schwebzy. Dude, Moniak has been surprisingly dope since making his return off the IL with a, a casual 294 WRC+. Plus, very you know, chill, as, as very one, normal. Yeah, very as cool. one does. Uh, it's very small sample size, 20 plate appearances. But in those 20 plate appearances, he's got a couple of dingers, a couple of steals, and a 35% K rate, which you do not love. Uh, he's a former number one overall pick like overall overall number one pick of the draft and he's shown flashes in the past and has hit pretty well in the minors the last few years so he's probably worth a flyer it's a good lineup good ballpark if he's playing every day uh he you know maybe maybe he can finally fulfill some of that promise and he robbed the home run today which is only going to help him get in the lineup more with some defensive chops i i yeah i mean in five outfielder leagues i don't see why not he started in place of Trout today, didn't he? Did he? I didn't I catch so. that. I think so. It was like it was like a, a rest day for Trout. Trout was just out of the lineup completely. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. He played center field today. Yeah, that's what I thought. But so I mean, I I hope the playing time is there for him. He's been absurd. <laughs> so, um, oh gosh, but that K, I, the K rate worries me. Yeah, and uh, anytime a K rate starts with a three, I start to get concerned. But, I mean, 
I, I'm hoping this doesn't turn into a uh, situation where Taylor Ward isn't playing every day, so uh, mm. you know, so that Mickey Moniak can get in the lineup more. The, this might wind up turning into a situation where no one is happy because neither Moniak or Ward are playing enough for their manager's preferences. We'll we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. We still have to worry about Jared Walshman. He's coming back too. Oh yeah, that's right. It's another wrinkle to add in here, I guess. But all right, anyway, so let's go to Oakland and Luis Medina. I I I'm cautiously interested in Medina. I'm not adding him anywhere yet, except in in the absolute deepest of leagues. I do I actually think I have a waiver claim out on him in one particular league, but it's great velocity, two straight quality starts, one of which was against Texas, which is a pretty strong offense. I think there are worse dart throws out there. I wouldn't mind starting him in his next game against Seattle, but after that is Houston, which is a hard pass. Uh, I mean, uh, this is really, this is like damning with faint praise, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's just kind of another, uh, another demonstration of how thin waiver wires are right now that I'm even interested in Medina. But he, he is very young, and he, he has some prospect pedigree to him. So, you know, there's there's worse start throws out there. I'm going to do you one better and be even less enthusiastic about this last person that I want to bring up. Oh, buddy, I'm so unenthusiastic about the guy you're about to talk about. Robbie Grossman. I love when a player's last name also describes him. Gross, man. Um, he's yeah. So basically the draw with Grossman is that he is going to remain largely unchallenged for reps in left field in Texas. As long as that's the case, he should accumulate at least 20 plate appearances from week to week, which obviously has value in and of itself, even near the bottom of that order. Uh, the OBP skills are at least still somewhat decent, uh, and the bat has been solid as of late. Um, again, not a bad offense, as Shrubsy stated before. I would say an above-average offense uh, without, oh, yeah. without actually looking at anything. Um, so, Comfortably. Even though he is near the back end of that lineup, I think he's been hitting like seventh or eighth most days. Um, once it turns over to the top of the order, there are opportunities for him to score runs and things like that. I do think the RBIs will be sl- somewhat limited. Um, but Grossman, as long as he is getting those regular plate appearances, does have value. So, yeah. Yeah. And for for folks at home, if, if you ever think that Texas might be an offense you can stream against, they are fourth in baseball and WRC. Plus. They are fifth in baseball and OPS. They are they're a very strong offense right now. Adolis Garcia is an absolute machine. Just a wrecking machine right he's now. He's been incredible. Like he's on pace for like a hundred and sixty or not not hundred and sixty, but like a hundred and forty five RBI. Please continue carrying my TGFBI team, Adelise Garcia. He's he's been incredible. Um so good. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to be it for this week's episode of In the Deep. Thank you all for joining us once again. We appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we do have a t- shared Twitter account, and you can follow us there at In the Deep PL. Uh, we also have individual Twitter accounts. You can follow Schwebzy at Schwebzy, that's S H W E B S I, and myself at Bunt Singles. Uh, be sure to leave a review for the podcast on your platform of choice Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll be back next week with another episode. And also, don't forget to check out Schwebzy hosting on the wire this weekend with Adam Howe. Schwebzy, have fun and send them out. Bye, friends. Bye.